the moment a machine reaches human intelligence, then it continues to develop code for itself. Right. And in the next few seconds, it's so many times <laughs> smarter than a human. So it's, yeah. it's a runaway scenario and it needs to be uh, well thought of. Guided by over 25 years in the data and research industry and assisting innovators with investment banking and advisory services, Seema Vasa brings you Data Gurus, a leading market research podcast that offers actionable insights for business acceleration and value creation. Join her as she speaks with key innovators in the space to bring you up to speed with the current state and the future of data analytics and data ecosystems. This is Data Gurus. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa, your host, and I'm joined today by Michalis Michael, who is the CEO and founder of DMR. Welcome. Hello there. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me from across the pond. It's late Friday evening for you, so I appreciate it. No, that's great. No problem. I am excited to talk to you today. You have so much knowledge on a topic that everybody has been focused on recently with the advance of ChatGPT and having the democratization of AI. Give us a little bit of an understanding, if you don't mind, about where your perspective is on as a society regarding AI and where we are. Oh, I can do that. But it's, it's all happening really, really fast. And so I think everybody has questions about where we are and where we're going. So we differentiate when we think of AI between narrow AI and strong or general AI or AGI I, is the acronym. And so narrow AI is something that a machine learning model does, which is very specific, like sentiment analysis or sentiment labeling text for sentiment. There right. are three classes of sentiment, positive, negative, neutral, easy. It can take millions of posts in seconds, all labeled and presented nicely on a dashboard. That's narrow AI. And that's what my company does. Strong AI doesn't exist yet. Okay. And there's a definition from Alan Turing, which says strong AI, something will qualify a computer program or hardware will qualify a strong AI if a human has a conversation with it and does not realize that it's a computer, that the okay. human will think it's a human, right? It's another human. That's Turing's definition from the 50s. But I don't think it applies anymore for strong AI. I think we now a days think more of AI as a godlike capability. And I don't mean this in a religious <laughs> context, but someone who is much more intelligent than a human. That's how we think of strong AI now. And there are three groups of people who are in this business. I call them the optimists, the moderates, and the pessimists, but right. we can debate <laughs> if that's really a good name. So the optimists, and I'm one of them, believe that we will have strong AI by the end of this decade. Okay. The moderates believe that we will have strong AI by the end of the century. And the pessimists say it will never happen. So there's no way a machine will have the same intuition, the same 
you know, like abilities that the human brain has. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question mm-hmm. because I, I actually, when we spoke earlier, I kind of reversed the scale. I thought the optimist was that it's never going to happen. And the pessimist was it's going to happen in this decade and the moderates are the moderates. But tell me your perspective, you being an optimist and saying strong AI is going to happen in the next decade. Why is that an optimistic view for you? Okay. So there's one condi- a great point uh, okay. before and now uh, <laughs> is that there are certain conditions that need to be fulfilled for this to be to have a positive outcome. And these are for humans to have a consensus on what is the legal framework and what is the ethical framework, which we don't have. And that's why you may have seen in the news about a month ago, Elon Musk started at least a petition. They call it the AI arms race. For some reason, they call it the arms race. (laughs) Pause it for six months. It's a very specific petition. So they are asking uh, you know, OpenAI, Google, uh, whoever is involved, Microsoft, to pause so that humanity will come up with a legal and an ethical framework around AI that will protect humanity in the future. So the condition to be able to call myself an optimist is that before we have a runaway AI, which becomes millions of times more intelligent than a human, but the singularity moment, which is defined exactly as that, that the moment a machine reaches human intelligence, then it continues to develop code for itself. And in the next few seconds, it's so many times (laughs) smarter than a human. So it's a runaway scenario and it needs to be uh, well thought of. We can't just, you know, leave it. Your premise is, is that we will have these frameworks in place before we say strong AI will happen in the decade. I can look with that. Exactly. I, yeah. Exactly. Right now exactly. it feels like it's just a free-for-all for everybody and yeah. there's no line in sight. And that regulation or those frameworks would have to happen on a global level, I would imagine. Yes, right? yeah, absolutely. So Governments and corporations boundary. need to agree. Yeah. Yeah. that this is the case so that we don't get to an ex machina or a terminator scenario right. which are very very real and some really smart people said so like Stephen Hawking and, yes. and all these academics that are I mean these are not idiots or dumb people they know what they're talking about and I agree with them it's scary and we should be scared and we should get our act together before something happens that we didn't expect right Absolutely agree with you. And let me ask you this question. As you think about AI being able to be as smart as humans, right? What do you think the probability of that actually is? I mean, there's a lot of things that we still need to factor in, but where are we in that continuum? The same way the human brain is a sort of a black box, right, Right. for us. We don't understand how the human brain operates. We understand the periphery, but not really. That's how probably AI will develop when it reaches that stage. And so I'm not sure exactly what synapses will link, how many millions of them and how will they look like. But I know that the processing power is there. Right. And I know that the hardware and the software is there. So I can't say with absolute certainty that it will happen to have yeah. exactly someone that has intuition and empathy and 
maybe consciousness, who yeah. knows, to be conscious yeah. of oneself and right. talk about the sentient being. Yeah. But I think it's possible, definitely possible yeah. with, with the technology that exists today. It's interesting because so much of how we take the world in is through our experiences. And to be able to think that a machine can be able to mimic right our responses based on all those cumulative experiences is fascinating and we'll see what happens, right? And not only mimic, right? At some point it will have its own, which are very different than ours and it will be our boss. That's true. That's true. And then I think about the animals, what's going to happen to all the non-humans, right? They will be scratching their heads with their paws. Like what's happening here, guys? What happened to us? Okay. Let's talk about how, you're using AI at your company. Just give us a brief background about DMR and what yeah. you guys focus on. Yeah, so we've been developing custom machine learning models since 2012. So we spent a lot of many years in R&D, focused R&D, to develop technology that labels text, audio, and images in a very accurate way for certain variables that are needed in market research data analytics world. So for marketers and customer experience managers and so on. And so that's what we call narrow AI. So you take some training data yeah. that have been created by humans. So humans will label manually for sentiment, positive, <laughs> negative, or neutral towards a brand, for topics, whatever you want to the machine to learn. And then you marry an algorithm, a machine learning algorithm with the training data, which let's say is about soft drinks in the Vietnamese language. Right. And now you have a custom model mm -hmm. that can label Vietnamese text uh, with sentiment. And you can have another one that it can label Vietnamese text with topics around soft drinks. That's important. In yes. what we do, yes. because for us, the labeling accuracy is very, very important because right. we right. think, you know, the proverbial garbage in, garbage out. So if the accuracy is not right, then all the decisions that a company might take could be not only useless, but maybe very, very risky for right. a company right. if the data is wrong, right? Sure. So if you tell Coca-Cola and say 60% of the posts in Vietnamese about Coca-Cola are negative. And if the accuracy is 50%, which then will mean that only 30% are negative, right? totally different decisions will be taken, right? Of so course. we pay a lot of attention yeah. in committing to over 80% accuracy whenever we do a project by running this proprietary and approach to creating a custom model mm -hmm. that understands the context. Got it. In that case, in the, exam in the example's case, the context is soft drinks. Okay. And I like your thesis. So we've talked about the definition of kind of the market research space, which, you know, was really the premise is that we're getting feedback from people that we've solicited that have agreed to participate in either qualitative research or quantitative research. But, you know, as we think about the expansion of the industry, companies like your company provides unsolicited feedback. And it's two sides of the coin, as you mentioned before. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I have to say that I am, in this case, scratching my head with how slow the industry has taken up the unsolicited customer opinion, which comes from posts on social media, on blogs, on fora, on reviews like Amazon and all that. 
in my view, to use the coin analogy, a marketer or a customer experience manager is interested in customer opinion about their products and the competitors. But customer opinion has two sides. One is the solicited, which is you get by asking questions, surveys and focus groups. That's what market researchers have been doing for 100 years now, exactly 100 years since the Nielsen report was created. And then there's the unsolicited customer opinion, which is what people say online about brands without being asked. And I believe that the weight of importance of these two Mm. types of opinion should be at least 50-50. And at the moment, my sense is it's an arbitrary number, but companies are focused, are basing decisions using 90% solicited opinion, so survey and focus groups, and only 10% of the decisions are based on unsolicited, which comes from social media and so on. And what is the challenge or the objection that you get when you present your ideas and your solutions, typically? A question which, if I had a cent every time I got it, I would be rich, is (laughs) usually comes from traditional market researchers, is how representative is your sample? And they mean the sample of posts that you gather from the internet. How representative is it? Because my survey, I chose a thousand people randomly to represent, let's say, 350 million people in the US and yours. How do you know? And this question is so wrong. It's wrong in two ways. The first mistake they make is that this is not a sample. Right. It's the universe of all the posts about a brand. Sure. And the second mistake is that we're The question is not right because in a social media context, we are more interested in how many people read it and get impacted by it rather than who wrote it. Even if there is one person, let's say that person is Barack Obama, right? He has millions of followers. It's one person. How representative is he? Zero. He's not representative at all. He was the president of the United States, right? He writes a post and 200 million people read it. And they go do what he says, let's say. Yes. Yeah. Hypothetical, right? Yeah. Yeah. So don't you want to know? Don't yeah. you want to know what he said? Right. Yes, of course. Yeah. And don't you want to know the reach that he has? Yeah. So that's the kind of perspective and angle that we take when we look at social media posts. Who can be impacted? What is my negative sentiment, my positive sentiment? How do I compare with competition? Hmm. And not only customer opinion, I want to add one more. Sure. So news, the news, which is right. editorial, which it's not a customer who posts a news piece on the CNN website, but how many customers will read that piece of news and get it, uh, impacted by it? So that's also another consideration that brands need to know what's out there, news or solicited customer opinion. And when you factor in the news or even, let's say, the post of Barack Obama, just Break it down a little bit. Like, how do you actually m- track that? In my mind, it's just like, or is it all through machine learning and algorithms where you can capture that data? So we create a social media listening project by first deciding the keywords we're going to use to gather posts. Usually, the keywords is the competitive set of brands. So okay. if I go back to I'm using Coca-Cola a lot. I'm not paid by them to do that, but it's the most well-known brand on the planet. So if we were doing a project for Coca-Cola, 
we would gather posts for Fanta, Mirinda, 7-Up, uh, yep. Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, Sprite. That would be the keywords for gathering. Okay. Then we gather from all the Twitters, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, all that, blogs, forums. We bring it in. We clean it from noise because you have homonyms, lots of noise. Coke, for example, if you're gathering for Coke, C-O-K-E, it also means cocaine. And it also means coal that you extract from the earth. So these two homonyms need to be excluded if I'm doing a soft drinks analysis, right? So that is this first step. We clean the data with AI. We teach the AI how to find the posts that are about cocaine and coal taken out. Then we build a custom model to understand and label for sentiment, positive, negative, neutral, towards the brand in that language, whatever the language is of the posts. Mm -hmm. Because we decide the keywords, but the language may be Tagalog or Vietnamese or Chinese. And the country might be Philippines or Vietnam or China. You You have the ability to focus your gathering in a language and country. And once they are there and the models are prepared, custom models to understand soft drinks in that language and sentiment, and another model to understand soft drinks in that language, but topics of conversation, then we press a button or it happens automatically. All the posts get labeled in minutes or seconds, even if it's millions of posts. Yep. And then you present them on dashboard. And then if you're Coca-Cola, you want to see, okay, what is my share of voice, first of all? Right. Out right. of this million, if I have 200,000 posts about Coca-Cola, then my share of voice is 20%. Am I the highest? Am I the lowest? How do I fare in negative sentiment? Maybe it's not good to have so much because so many, because if it's all negative, what then? I mean, is right. is any PR good PR? I don't know. You know, I have to investigate. And so you can drill down. There are dimensions. The dimensions that you use on the dashboard like these are brands, sources, sentiment, topics, and the periods of time. You can look every day, weekly, monthly, whatever. So you may say, okay, let me click on negative sentiment. Okay, now everything is negative. Oh, the share of voice of Coca-Cola is the biggest in negative. Let me click on Coca-Cola. Click. And then it drills down and then, oh, and what are they talking about? Why are health and wellness? Click. And then I go and read some of these posts and I know exactly what. So you go from quantitative analysis to qualitative analysis by reading the actual posts. And you can think of a dashboard like this. I always like to say it's like Google Maps. It takes you from A to B in a foreign city without knowing any, you know, it it takes the most efficient way, fastest way in any city. Same idea here. Big data, you're lost, 10 million posts. You don't know where to start. What are they saying? This is a tool that helps you to go from an A, like negative sentiment, to B, which is, oh, they talk about how unhealthy this substance is. Fascinating. It's fascinating. And who typically do you sell this solution to within brands? Who's grasping and saying, oh, yes, I need this for sure. Yeah. So when it's about general market research and marketing objectives, we sell it to the insights people or the brand people. Okay. Yeah, market researchers or customer insights. And there's another big use case, which is the customer experience measurement. And that we sell to the customer experience directors or VP of CX. And the angle there is not so much the social media. More important is the calls they get to their call center, the chat messages, the private 
and the emails. This is all client data internal, and we can ingest it into listening 24-7, our platform, along with the social media posts, all annotated with the sentiment and reason for the call and customer journey stage. And then the customer experience director will be able to see every day a ranking of the customer pain points, and they will be able to produce solutions faster so that they can reduce customer churn and maximize retention and loyalty. Yep. Very powerful, especially even on a personal level, when you think about how many times you interact with a bot on a website or call somebody, all that data is actually insight for that brand to be able to digest and do something with it. I have a very, it's a little bit of an oddball question, but what's the hardest language to tag to make sure there's accuracy? I can understand why you asked this question, but the answer is there isn't one because they're all the same. Yeah. Because the method we use is, which is called supervised machine learning. There's okay. supervised, there's unsupervised, and then there's deep learning. Those large language models, the GPT-4s and so on, they are mostly deep learning neural networks. Right. But supervised means that four or five native speakers will read through five to 20,000 posts in their own language, and they will label them based on their own judgment, their human judgment. Okay. Whether if there's you know positive, negative, or neutral, and what is the topic, and then we put this together with a, a machine learning algorithm and create a custom model for that. And so I don't have to speak Chinese. I only need to find five Chinese native speakers who can train my model, and then the model runs on its own. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, and there's a very specific... Uh, so one of the biggest problems, why I said 80% accuracy at the beginning, why not 100%? Right. 100% is possible. We can train a model to agree 100% with you if you give us the training data. But the problem is ambiguity. There's ambiguity out there. And so if someone says this game is sick, young people understand that it means it's great. It's a very good game. Yeah. But older people like me, 10 years ago, I would have thought it means it's a bad thing. Right. right? Yes. And so if we disagree, and there's 10 to 30% of the times, people disagree about sentiment. Post And that is why 80% accuracy is a pretty good result because you can't expect the algorithm to agree with everybody. It has to pick one, you know? That's why we have opinions and perspectives, right? Yeah. Mihalis, thank you so much for joining me today. What a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time today. It was a huge pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Data Gurus podcast brought to you by Infinity Squared. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com.